This is Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Folks, we're on a mission to make magazines great again, so subscribe to our Fight, Laugh, Feast magazine. This is a quarterly mini-book-like experience packed full of a variety of authors that includes theologically driven cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, laughs sprinkled throughout the glossy pages, and more. Sign your church up, sign your grumpy uncle up, and while you're at it, sign up the Pope, Elon Musk, and Russell Moore. Disclaimer, this magazine will guarantee various responses and cross-politics not held liable for any of them. Reading the whole magazine may cause theological maturation, possibly encourage your kids to take the Lord's Supper with you, and likely cause you to randomly chuckle in joy at God's wondrous world. Sign up today, four issues, and $60 per year. That's it. Go to fightlaughfeast.com right now to sign up. Now let's get to the news, and we take our dip back into the pool of gender insanity here. Boston Children's Hospital, illogical and destructive gender ideology reigns. Several videos from Boston Children's Hospital on transgender children are making the rounds. They highlight how destructive the transgender medical agenda is for children and how illogical transgender activists are. Two of the videos claim that children can know that they are transgender from birth or even while still in utero. The hospital boasts that it regularly sees transgender children as young as two or three years old. This is is demonic. When they meet with a psychologist who pushes them down the road of social gender transitioning, concerned parents are told that beginning an irreversible process based on the word of a two-year-old is just, quote, being supportive. So most of the patients that we have in the GEMS clinic actually know their gender, usually around the age of puberty, but a good portion of children do know as early as seemingly from the womb, and they will usually express their gender identity as very young children, some as soon as they can talk. They might say phrases such as, I'm a girl, or I'm a boy, or I'm going to be a woman, or I'm going to be a mom. Kids know very, very early. So in the GEMS clinic, we see a variety of young children all the way down to ages two and three, and usually up to the ages of nine. When they come into the clinic, they'll see one of our psychologists and we'll be talking to them about their gender, we'll be talking to their family about how to best support that child and how to make sure that that child has the space and support to explore their gender and uh, do well throughout their development. And we'll be answering any parent questions. A lot of parents do have questions and so we answer those questions. The biggest piece of advice I give parents uh, who are coming through the gender clinic at Boston Children's Hospital is to just be supportive. Um, Sometimes you might not understand, sometimes you feel like you don't know the terms or you don't kind of get exactly what the child means when they say that they might be this gender, but the biggest thing you can do is just love your child and support them and just allow them to express themselves. That's the biggest protector as well against negative mental health effects such as depression, suicidality, anxiety that we worry about for our gender diverse kids and young adults. So that support from a parent is one of the best protective factors and one of the best things How do children know that they're in the wrong gender from birth or in the womb, you ask? Well, that's not clear. In fact, it's hard to even imagine what that means, but we do apparently have metrics for when they're around two or three. According to the hospital, a child refusing to get a haircut or playing with the opposite gender's toys can only mean that the child is in fact transgender and must begin the gender transition process. A child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically, 
and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the, quote, opposite gender toys, things like that. There is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life. So what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned. So that is a, a growing population that, they are, that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans and able to be treated. Now, aside from the wild leap in logic from a child rejecting a haircut to social gender transitioning, this makes no sense by the very logic that the transgender activists have promoted. If gender is an entirely social construct, then the idea of gendered toys is also a social construct. So, if the idea that only girls play with dolls, for example, is an outdated social construct, how does a boy playing with a doll prove that he is actually a girl and should begin the transition process? It doesn't take long to break this down. This is not some exercise in philosophy or thought experiment. This is the contradictory nature of the logic that therapists and doctors are using to push children down the path toward irreversible and damaging treatments, puberty blockers, hormone treatments, and eventually surgery. Boston's Children's Hospital Center for Gender Surgery is the first center of its kind in the U.S. in a major pediatric hospital setting, as it boasts on its website. They're not even hiding this. It is, an op- it is operating on the logic that children can choose their gender because they know that they are the wrong gender before they're even born. Medical and mental health professionals who know better are pushing children down this path, convincing concerned parents that this is what acceptance and support looks like. The malpractice lawsuits by the children whose lives they are currently ruining cannot be filed soon enough. Well, after that disheartening story, moving on, study blames climate change for children eating too much and not exercising enough. So yeah, climate change is to blame for children eating too much and not exercising enough. You can't make this stuff up, folks. The talk show CBS Morning cited a study on Saturday that correlated the growing trend of American obesity to climate change as increased heat, the study says, is making children stay indoors, consume more calories, and embrace a sedentary lifestyle. A new study showing how climate change, specifically higher temperatures, is making our children uh, more inactive and more obese. The study published in a journal Temperature found today's children are 30% less aerobically fit than their parents were at their age. Fewer children are reaching the World Health Organization's recommendation of 60 minutes of exercise a day. Now, listen, it has been a lot hotter hotter and the weather has been crazy but i think it also has to do with technology you know yeah it's, it, it's one thing not to go outside but these kids don't go outside because they can stay inside <laughs> be on their phones play video games and be social without having to go outside and be social in the study from temperature shonda a morrison argued that rising temperatures have caused children to stay indoors grow and active and eat more Her work focused on heat stress assessment and makes the point that it's more dangerous and less fun to be active if it's extremely hot outside. However, the author conflates metrics from the COVID-19 shutdowns that led to increased obesity in some regions as evidence for her uh, assertions. 
Quote, climate change will not only exert direct effects like higher ambient temperatures in many regions, but it will also be responsible for indirect effects that can independently affect child physical activity habits. For example, as observed during the COVID-19 global pandemic, a 2021 abstract published in the U.S. National Institutes of Health's National Library of Medicine titled Climate Change and Obesity noticed that the current COVID-19 pandemic has caused some decline in greenhouse gas emissions in an indication that the pandemic was a positive development for global climate change. The piece also said, quote, following multiple lockdowns, there was further increase in obesity wealthier populations, oh, in wealthier populations. The piece indicates that humanity can still gain weight if they're addressing climate change so long as they're sedentary and consuming more calories than they burn. A study cited by MarketWatch, suggests that obesity may actually be causing climate change. Ooh. Obesity is associated with approximately 20% more greenhouse gas emissions compared to people considered to have a healthier weight, end quote. Researchers in a recently published study found that global obesity was estimated to contribute to an extra 700 megatons of carbon dioxide emissions per year, the study said, according to MarketWatch. The obesity is causing, obesity is causing climate change, according to the study, and climate change is causing obesity, according to temperature. Well, which is it? A 2017-18 study from the Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention that surveyed over 5,000 U.S. adults found that 4 out of 10 Americans are obese and 1 out of 10 are severely obese. Americans that were considered severely obese in 1970 was only about 1 in 100, a number that is 10 times more common today. The overall obesity rate has gone up by about 40% since 2000. Folks, now a quick word from our sponsor, Armored Republic. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic, there is no king but Christ. We are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. They create tools of liberty. Free men must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. God has given us the tools of liberty needed to defend the rights he bestowed to us. Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools. Visit them at AR500.com. That is AR500.com and support those that support us. Now, how about some good news? Convicted child rapist guzzles poison as verdict read in Texas court. The coward's way out. Edward LeClaire was his name. A convicted child rapist died on Thursday after guzzling a mysterious liquid while his guilty verdict was being read in Denton, Texas court. The Washington Post reports that LeClaire was convicted on five counts of child sexual assault and in the courtroom uh, quaffed, that's the word they used there, uh, from a water bottle while guilty after guilty count was read in succession. LeClaire's lawyer, Mike Howard, said, quote, I looked over and noticed him drinking. His hand was shaking at the time, and I thought it was shaking because of the verdict. But he kept drinking and drinking. Howard said LeClaire faced a very stern sentence of up to 100 years. The child rapist had been free on bond before the verdict, but was escorted to a holding cell after he was deemed guilty. According to CNN, Denton County Assistant District Attorney Jamie Beck said the drink looked cloudy, and our investigator noticed him chug the water. He told the bailiff he might want to go check on him. The bailiff did. He was unconscious in the holding cell. Defense attorney Howard said LeClaire started vomiting shortly after entering the holdover cell and that emergency services were called. 
The Denton Record Chronicle reported that LeClaire was charged with raping a 14-year-old girl in 2016. The child had posted a personal ad on Craigslist and solicited the meeting, but said LeClaire had raped her afterwards. Two years later, the girl's mother called police on LeClaire, and he was arrested. His trial began on August 8th, and he was out on a $30,000 bond. District Attorney Beck said he was very much either dying or dead when the bailiff found him, and now the Texas Rangers are investigating this in-custody death. Tarrant County Medical Examiner Forensic Pathologists are performing an autopsy. The jurors were informed that of LeClaire's death on Friday, and the judge told them it was not their fault. Nope, it was the coward's fault. And some more good news. Rumble sets new record. 76% year-on-year growth in active users. Neutral video sharing platform Rumble reported record monthly active users and a record for uploaded content in quarter two of 2022, along with strong user engagement growth trajectory. Monthly active users increased by 76% year-on-year to an average of 44 million monthly active users, while content uploaded increased by 283% year-on-year to 89 100 plus video hours per day. User engagement increased by 62% year on year with Rumble users watching an average of 8.1 billion minutes per month. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm happy for Rumble, but gosh, get outside, people. This is Rumble's second record setting quarter of the year with the video sharing platform setting record all time highs in all key performance measures in quarter one of 2022. Quote, while most platforms are experiencing declines or slowed growth, we are seeing the opposite, Rumble CEO Chris Pavlovsky. Uh, he said that in a tweet. He would go on to add that, in his opinion, the reason other platforms' growth is slowing is because audiences are going places, like Rumble. Many users have embraced Rumble because it has committed to allowing its users to speak freely, while big tech platforms have doubled down on censorship. In quarter two 2022, Rumble doubled down on its commitment by announcing open-source free speech rules that users can give feedback on and vowing to not operate in countries that move towards censorship. In addition to this, Rumble provided censorship protection for author and filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza in his latest documentary, 2,000 Mules. The documentary became a huge hit for Rumble and was reportedly the biggest political political documentary in a decade. Rumble also added several new features during quarter two 2022, including picture-in-picture on its web player, full-screen vertical discovery on iOS, and dark mode for iOS. By contrast, the world's biggest video-sharing platform, YouTube, continued to engage in or commit to mass censorship, heck, even for us at CrossPolitik, throughout quarter two 2022. Some of the many examples of this include YouTube deleting over 70,000 Ukraine war videos, removing a New York Post interview with someone who stormed the Capitol on January 6, 2021, discussing the censorship of misinformation with Poland's president, and reiterating its commitment to constant censorship of misinformation at the World Economic Forum annual meeting for 2022. The fact that YouTube was at that meeting should, should uh, you know, people should take note. Now, it's time for my favorite topic, sports. And it goes back to Mr. Novak Djokovic. We're in tennis today. Djokovic forced out of tennis tournament by Biden ban on unvaxxed travelers. You think with the CDC's new guidance, President Biden would have removed this, but still, still there. Novak Djokovic pulled out of next week's hard court tournament in Cincinnati on Friday because he has not gotten any COVID-19 vaccine shots and so is not allowed to travel to the United States. 
That is also why Djokovic is not expected to be uh, to able to enter the U.S. Open, the year's last Grand Slam tournament, which begins in New York on August 29th. Djokovic is a 35-year-old from Serbia who owns 21 major championships behind Rafael Nadal for the men's record. Djokovic has said he won't get vaccinated against the illness caused by the coronavirus, even if that prevents him from playing in certain tournaments. He missed the Australian Open in January after being deported from that country, that draconian country, and needed to sit out two events in the United States earlier this year, along with a tournament in Montreal this week. Unvaccinated foreign citizens can't go to Canada or the U.S. currently. The Cincinnati tournament's news release announcing Djokovic's withdrawal cited travel restrictions. Djokovic has said that he is still holding out hope of being able to enter the U.S. Open, but that would require a change of government po- governmental policy, which the U.S. Tennis Association says it will adhere to. Cowards. Djokovic is a three-time champion at the U.S. Open and was the runner-up last year to Daniil Medvedev. I probably butchered that, so you guys can fill me in later. Serena Williams is entered into the field for what is expected to be one of her last appearances on tour, as she has mentioned that she is getting ready to retire. And say what you will about Serena, but she's quite the tennis player. Folks, this has been your Cross Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, hit that share button down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership, sign up for our conference, or sign up for our magazine, you can do all of that at fightlaughfeast.com. As always, if you want to send me a news story, have questions about our conference, or become a corporate partner, email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. For Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day, and Lord bless.